Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. So many great things happening in we're able to be a part of. I'd encourage you to be a part of all of them. I want to take just a moment and say one of the joys that I've had as a dad is watching my children uh, do certain things. So with my son, it was sports, and with my daughter, it was track, and with dance, and yesterday I got to see her final recital, uh, senior recital. Whoop, whoop. For some of the people in the room, like, it's a moment of celebration, and uh, you did so good, and the team, they did so good. But here's the point, is I know that behind the scenes, there's so much practice that goes into what these dancers did this weekend and so much practice that goes into when these athletes compete in games. And as a parent, it's fun to see that hard work pay off and show off for something. Some of you are like, why are you talking about this? Here's why I'm talking about it. I know that every Sunday that you're bringing your kids here and you're checking them in to the kids' areas uh, of our church, that development is happening in their life. Like, it's the, it's the practice of that. Spiritual disciplines are being developed, and then you take them home, and you're encouraging them in their relationship with Jesus at home. And some of you are like, oh, I just wish that there was an environment where I could see my kids excel spiritually, where there would be this time that we would come together and I could see them in that moment. Well, I have news for you. That moment is vacation Bible school. How fun would it be for you as parents to volunteer as leaders, not because we need more volunteers, but instead for you to see that moment where your kids are worshiping God passionately, and I'm just telling you, the team that's going to lead VBS, it'll be amazing. You want to be a part of it. Make sure that your kids sign up, scan the QR code on, uh, on the little piece of paper that was in the seat as you came in. And if you want to volunteer as a leader, scan the QR code as well. What a tremendous opportunity for parents and kids to, to experience that spiritual moment together where you can cheer them on in a spiritual atmosphere and worship with them. It will be great. So I encourage you to do that. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday on the church calendar, and we talked about the mighty supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. If you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to listen online at crosspointwaverly.com. Find us on Facebook or YouTube or listen on Spotify. This morning, we're going to start a new sermon series called Trust and Obey. Trust and obey. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this letter called First Peter and look at how we can trust and obey God. Maybe for some of you, trust and obedience comes easy to you. And maybe for others, it comes harder. Maybe for some of you, it's a challenge. And I wonder how close our response to trusting and obeying God relates to our ability to trust and obey in our earthly relationships. When loving parents give their kids instructions in the context of a loving relationship, 
The kids should be able to trust that their parents have the best interests in mind and that they could obey what they're saying. So for instance, if a kid is wanting to touch touch a hot stove, if a parent were to say to them, don't touch the hot stove, you're going to get burnt in a loving relationship, the kid can trust that. Now some kids have to learn the hard way and touch it and then you go, hey, remember last time I said this, you can trust and obey what I'm saying. There are times though when trust is broken down and it becomes harder to trust. I like spicy food, not like extremely spicy food, but uh, when I go to Tapatio and the salsa is spicy that day, I don't complain about it. There's no issue uh, for me. I like the spiciness of it. My wife made chicken salad sandwiches this week for, for lunch and I sliced up a fresh jalapeno and popped those jalapenos on to that chicken salad sandwich. And I'm just telling you, it was fine before, but it was amazing after that. Add a little bit of fire and heat to that chicken salad sandwich. It was good stuff. Now, when I was a kid, my grandfather, we called him Pawpaw because I grew up in the South, was very ornery. And one of the things that he loved to do was to torture and harass grandchildren. So I have this picture of my grandparents and my son Jacob in a swing on their front porch. And my grandfather has aggravated Jacob to the point that Jacob is in tears, absolutely in tears on the swing. And my grandfather is laughing the entire time. So this picture has my grandfather laughing and Jacob in tears. He was ornery. At some time or another, he would try to get each of his grandchildren to eat a jalapeno pepper. And so when you were young and naive, he would take a jalapeno pepper in one hand and he would take a bite of it and say, it's not hot, see? And he would bite into it and eat it and he would hand you the other one to bite into. It didn't take long for you to realize that Papa was a liar. Because that jalapeno was hot. And so after some weeping and some gnashing of teeth, he would be uh, laughing and enjoying that moment. And even for the dumbest of grandchildren in our family, it didn't take more than once to know that if Papa told you that something wasn't hot, he could not be trusted. Now I'll tell you that my grandfather was a tremendous man, a man who could be trusted, just not with jalapenos. And what's sad is that for some of us in the room, we have trusted an authority figure in our life and obeyed them, and it led to great hurt. For some, the consequences of that has been where you say, I'm not going to trust anyone. And unfortunately, as a result of this, there are some who look to God and even think that he's not trustworthy. God is trustworthy, and we can and we should obey him. Many of you know Glenn Reynolds. He spoke at our church a few weeks ago. When Eric and I graduated from Bible college, we moved up to Des Moines and joined staff with him. And he was a tremendous boss. He's a brilliant mind, was and still is. And there were times when he would encourage me to try something or do something, whether it was in children's ministry or youth ministry or in worship ministry. And he was just filled with great ideas and he was so good and so smart at stuff that when I would implement what he encouraged me to do, it would lead to success. It was amazing how that worked. And so success built upon success and success. So then when he would come up with another idea to try, it wasn't difficult for me to trust and obey what he was asking me to do because the proven track record behind. He set me up for success. 
We serve a God that we can trust and obey. He sets us up for success. And when I talk about success this morning, I'm not necessarily talking about material success or earthly success, but instead I would define success in this context as finishing our race of faith and receiving the prize. And when this is how we define success, we can and should trust and obey God. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Peter in this book that bears his name. And we're going to see that God is worthy to be trusted and obeyed. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin reading with verse number 1. It's also going to appear on the screen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, and when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that they now have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us in Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of this letter, Peter calls the believers the elect. These are exiles who have been scattered throughout Asia Minor. They're living in a land that's not their own. And as followers of Jesus, we're still living in a land that's not our own. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, Jesus Christ. Our true homeland is heaven, and as great as this life is, there's a longing in, our, in the hearts of believers for our eternal homeland. And if we're followers of Jesus, we get that title or relationship because he first chose us. I want you to think back to recess this morning when you were in school and there was some kind of team sport that was about to happen and you were going to be divided up into teams. Just think about that for just a moment. Captains were going to be selected and then team members were going to be picked. For some of you, you're like, I loved that moment. 
You're like, I was always the captain. Or you say, I was always picked first. And if that's you, then it's not hard for you to imagine that God would pick you. Because you're like, of course he would pick me. Everybody else has picked me my whole life. I'm pretty cool and amazing. Why wouldn't God pick me? For others of you, the mere mention of recess and be divided into teams and all of that, some of you are already pitting out because of the anxiety that's coming back to you from when you were in school. The anxiety of would you be picked last or would you even be picked at all? And so for those of you in that camp, it's unfathomable to think that the God of the universe would even pick us or choose us. The king of the universe has picked you to enjoy the benefits of his kingdom. Salvation, the benefits of his kingdom being salvation and invitation to live in his presence for all eternity. He reminds us in verse number two that, that the believers of the love, and he reminds believers of the love and the work of God in their salvation, the foreknowledge of God that he chose us. You might not have a title or a position that others are envious of. In your own eyes, you might think that you're pretty ordinary and nothing special. And I'm not trying to boost your self-esteem this morning, but I want to remind you through these words this morning that you are someone special, that God has chosen you. Peter continues in verse number two, he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctify means to set apart for special use. We've been set apart for special use. We're set apart to be different. We don't live as the world lives. We allow the Spirit of God to make us holy. We let the ongoing work of the Spirit carve out the things in our lives that don't bring God glory, that aren't in alignment with his word, and we allow the Spirit of God to build up and to grow the things in our lives that do bring him glory. We live obedient lives to God, and the Holy Spirit helps us as we follow Jesus' example. He continues in verse 2 for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood. God has invited, excuse me, God has invested in his people. God has invested in his people for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Peter's letter to these believers was meant to serve as a reminder of the life that they were called to live in light of the salvation that they had received and were receiving. In verse 3, he continues, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He writes, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It wasn't by our actions. There's nothing that we could do to earn God's grace or his favor, right? There's not enough good that we can do in our life to outweigh the bad in our life. It's because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross in his resurrection that we can receive salvation. We're born again into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. Think about some of the inheritances that have been passed down from the wealthiest of estates, And from the wealthiest of estates that have been passed down, it has nothing on the inheritance that we'll receive from our Heavenly Father. 
It's an inheritance that can't be destroyed. It can't be polluted, and it's not subject to decay. The only way that we can understand the living hope that Jesus gives to all believers is it stems from this idea that our hope is not in a desired end. Right This week, as we saw rain clouds building around us, my yard has gone from lush to crunch. How many can relate? Some of the farmers are like, we just need some rain. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was hoping that as the clouds were building up that we would experience rain, and fortunately we got a little bit of it. But maybe for some of you, it's not like the hope that it's going to rain or hope that there's going to be some kind of magical check in the mail that's going to take care of all of your problems. Our hope is not in something empty, but instead in the promises of God. And in the New Testament, hope indicates a confident expectation. And most specifically, this hope is associated with the hope of final salvation. We have hope and trust that because of our relationship with God, we, we will be delivered from experiencing the wrath of God at the end of the age. We have hope because we know God will do what he says he'll do. For believers, at the end of this race of faith, rather than facing his wrath, we will face his blessing. We'll spend an eternity with him. As followers of Jesus, we don't have an empty hope that someday we'll make it to heaven. Instead, we can have a confident hope as followers of Jesus that we'll make it to heaven because God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. Word of God tells us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in the midst of the suffering the believers were experiencing, Peter reminds them of this eternal hope that we have in God. In verse six, it gives us insight into this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the eternal hope that we have. Peter addresses these various trials that they would face, and he says, in their faithfulness to God in the midst of the trials that would result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Helm, in his commentary, lists off some various trials. He says, there will be seasons in life when you'll lack provision, seasons in life when you'll lack power or position or protection in a sense of permanence. He writes, at times you'll become the recipient of verbal or physical persecutions that arise on the, on the account of Jesus. This includes the pain, various trials includes the pain experienced by those who have loved ones whose bodies appear to be wasting away before their very eyes. He writes, this includes the dark moments in life when we're asked to fend off the prowling attacks of Satan. And Peter says that, in these various trials, that if we'll remain faithful, that it'll bring glory to God. Trials have a way of, of proving that our faith is genuine. There's a Christian recording artist named Toby Mack, and in 2019, his 21-year-old son died suddenly. What a horrible trial to walk through. What a horrible moment to test a person's faith. And Toby Mack addressed the world with this statement after this moment happened. He said, my wife and I want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under the table deal with him. Like we'll follow you if you'll bless us. 
He says, we follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He's the God of the hills and the valleys, and he's beautiful above all things. I can't imagine how difficult it was for him to pen those words. I can't imagine how difficult it was for him to speak those words. I can't imagine how difficult it was for him to believe those words and to live it out. Yet with the difficulty of that, his faith was proved genuine. He's endured. There are moments when our faith is tested by fire. A business fails. A relationship breaks down. The death of a family member or a friend, bankruptcy, a scary health diagnosis, the elimination of your job, divorce, the list could go on and on. And Peter is encouraging all of us today that no matter what trial that we face, that we would remain faithful. And in that faithfulness to God, it would bring glory and honor to him. When our faith endures, Peter writes that it's more precious than gold. Gold is valuable on our earth. Right, but in the next life, it's not worth jack. Right, heaven will be paved with streets of gold. So while gold is valuable here, it's not valuable there. It's like somebody saying, I'm gonna put 10 kg of asphalt in my safe and protect it. Right, it's not worth anything, it's not valuable. But here on earth, gold is valuable, and it's saying that our faith will prove more valuable than gold. The reward of faith it is an inheritance that can never perish, and its value doesn't rise or fall based on the current economic market. Some of you have faced some incredibly challenging trials in your life. Maybe some of you are facing the biggest trial of your life yet. I just wanna encourage you to remain faithful to God in the midst of those trials because he's trustworthy. As your faith is proven genuine, it'll bring glory to God. Peter continues in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, excuse me, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you've not seen him, you love him and believe in him. This is the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter one Reads, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen for it, for by it the people of old received their commendation. The Message Bible translates it this way, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see the act of faith is, what's, what, is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Peter says that there is an outcome of our faith. The outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Beyond this life is an eternity that awaits us and there are no second chances. As followers of Jesus, we don't believe that after this life that we're reincarnated. We don't live to appease some gods in hopes of, in some empty hope that somehow we'll have better fortune in the next life or receive salvation through that. When we die, it's not the end. It's just the beginning for believers. And Peter writes that the outcome of our faith alone in Jesus is salvation. And in that relationship, we're saved and spared from the wrath of God. When we consider the character of God, his desire is that none would perish, 
but that all would come to everlasting life. That's his character. That's his desire. And we know that not everybody accepts that invitation. Those who do accept the invitation are called children of God. Those who don't accept the invitation are called children of wrath. And throughout the Bible, we see the love of God and we see the wrath of God. I'm going to talk about just a few passages this morning. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's God's desire, that we would have eternal life with him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Catch this. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Belief and obedience to God will lead to experiencing eternal life with God. Those who don't, the wrath of God remains on him. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He showed us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way. Christ didn't wait for us to get our act together. Instead, he gave his life so that the Holy Spirit could help us get our act together. When we confess him as our Lord, we're saved from the wrath of God. In Nahum chapter 1, verse number 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bastion and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. We sing songs about the love of God and being friends of God. We talk about these things often and we should. We talk about that in prayer that God is approachable and that we can talk to him like we're talking to a friend and those things are true. But I wonder if in those conversations and when we talk about things like that, if it leads us to a casual relationship with the king of the universe. Are we too casual in our approach and forget that God expects our undivided devotion and obedience to him? This is what happened to the Israelites. They presumed that God would always be gracious to them and that they would only know his goodness. But their familiarity with God worked against them. They still thought that they were entitled to the favor of God even when their affections for and their obedience to God fell off. As a result, they spent some years wandering. Here's what I know this morning is I don't want anybody to experience the wrath of God. It's why we exist as a church to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to God, to grow in their relationship with him and go tell the world the good news. The good news that Jesus gave his life so that we don't have to experience God's wrath, we can experience his blessings. 
And watch this, as we give our lives to God, there is this expectation that we would have a growing, thriving relationship with him. And in doing so, that we would go tell others what Christ has done. And in doing that, others give their lives to God. Others grow in their relationship with him. Others go and tell the world the good news, and the cycle continues. And that's the heart that we should have as followers of Jesus, that people would experience eternal life with God and that none would face God's wrath. Yesterday morning, I received an email that I absolutely loved to read. Paige Yoder emailed me, and she said, I'm in a small group with Kirsten Harkin. And in that small group, I shared with Kirsten that I feel like there's something missing in my life. And Kirsten said, have you been water baptized yet? And she said, no, I haven't done that yet. And so Paige yesterday morning said, hey, tomorrow is mine and Henry's seven year wedding anniversary. And we're just wondering, is there any chance that tomorrow that we could go public with our faith and get water baptized in the first service. And I, I emailed back. And those of you who have ever tried to email me know that I view it often as one-way communication. This was not one-way communication. I immediately responded. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And this morning in first service, they got baptized. What happened? Somebody invested in another person's discipleship of their growing in relationship with Jesus. And all of it started with a conversation. And I just wonder for us this morning, those in our lives that are far from God, whether it be family members or friends or those in the community and those around the world, what would it look like if it just started with a conversation where we shared with others the good news? We'll see people turn from enemies of God to friends of God, we'll see people say from the wrath of God. First Peter 1, 8 and 9 again says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a gift from God. That we could have peace in this life and for all eternity. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and for whatever reason, you've not put your trust in God. You've not been obedient to him and you say, today I want to become a follower of him. I want to move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. You say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to my maker. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time, or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of somebody who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you.
But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer today in person or online, we want to encourage you in the decision that you've made. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, if you text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I want to pray over us. And we leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. Just a moment, the prayer team's going to make their way to both sides of the stage. The worship team's going to lead us in another song. If you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward and let somebody pray for you. So again, I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to lead us in a song. Prayer team will be up front. I would encourage you to make your way forward. God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the encouragement that we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. The encouragement that we see that you are invested in us, that you have chosen us to be children of God. So Lord, this morning I pray for those that have taken a casual approach to who you are, who have decided that they'll be the God of their own life. Lord, I pray that that they would move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. Lord, for those that have struggled to trust and obey you because of uh, trust issues that have taken place in this life with earthly relationships, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and mend healing in those areas and, and bring health and restoration to that. But God, I pray that no matter what the earthly circumstance looks like, that people would know this morning that they can trust and that they should obey you. Lord, I pray for those that are facing the biggest trials of their lives right now. God, I ask that through it, that what would come of it is a faith that would be more valuable than pure gold, that through the trials that they're experiencing, that their faith would be proved genuine and that it would bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.
Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.